Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom who I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject thing, all things to himself. Pray with me. God, thank you for who you are, what you've done in our lives. Thank you for this word um, spoken in many languages that um, it's just so beautiful representation of the whole body. Um, uh, you are holy and we need you. Um, thank you for this time set apart that we can come together and rest in your word and just slow everything down. Um, it's so important to refocus so that we can abide in you and understand. And I pray that as Lance brings the word today, that um, you will just bring, help his words to be clear and that you will give him wisdom and help us just to be able to understand and, and take and apply through the rest of this week um, what it looks like to be a citizen in heaven and put off childish things, put off the rubbish, help us to pay attention to what is rubbish and what is not. And... Um, just to slow down, slow down this week so that we can truly abide in you. That's my prayer for everyone in here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, we are in Philippians 3, um, and so just before I even get to the Philippians, probably why would we have uh, Beat come up and read in a language that we can't understand? Y'all ever think about, like, what is the language of heaven and how it's probably not English? Um. And so maybe it's Aria. We don't know. Like maybe he just introduced us to what the throne will sound like uh, with the four to one ratio of words. Uh, but nonetheless, we're grateful, Beak, that you, uh, you, you read for us. Uh, it invites us into a bigger story, just as Laura just prayed. It invites us to, to remind ourselves this isn't just a subculture. Uh, this eventually will be the culture of the whole world. Uh, when Jesus comes back and renews all things. And we are a part of something far greater than just what happens in our heart, in our living room, around the table when we pray, in our little quiet times in the morning, what happens in here once a week in our neighborhood groups, whenever. We are a, far, we are a part of something global and eternal, and that's the reminder. That's why we would have our friend uh, come and read and invite us into something that we don't understand yet. Uh, so with that, we are in Philippians 3. Um, and I'm reminded of a question that you probably have asked someone younger than you in your life. 
I'm reminded of the question because I've been asked it many times. And the answer to the question is dolphin trainer. That's right, dolphin trainer. And the, the question then, if we're going Jeopardy style, the question then is, what do you want to be when you grow up? That was my answer. I went to SeaWorld apparently and got, I just fell in love with Shamu. And I wanted to be the guy that gets thrown off of Shamu. Now you can't swim in the waters with Shamu because Shamu will kill you. That's the reality, right? I already have, uh, yeah, but that's the reality of, where, uh, of our life today. But that was not the reality of the late 80s and the world that I grew up in. And I'm wondering what you ask your kid when the preschool, when they go up and they do their cute little fancy presentation at the end of the year, and they tell the whole crew what is it that they want to be when they grow up. My kids, I think all of them at one point said they want to work on the computer when they get older. And you know what that was? That was a wake-up call to our home to get off of the computer and start playing with your children because your kids are starting to imitate you, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Now you ask them now, and it's going to be something quite different, right? But I would say what also needs to be quite different is probably the question. Maybe the question we need to be asking ourselves isn't so invested in our vocation. What do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a firefighter, a policeman. I'm going to do this. Something that you'll do for a lot of the hours that you'll have, but it does not make up your identity. And when it does, you know you're in trouble. Instead, perhaps the question isn't, what do you want to do when you grow up? But who do you want to become? And maybe that's a question that's a little bit more adulty than preschooly. Who are you aspiring to become? And truly, like, that's a real question. One of my heroes of the faith is in the room, Bikram, that I would become like that guy. And I hope at the end of the day, you all will hear a little bit from him, and you'll go, you know, I want to be like that guy too. And we can start to have the words tangible reminders uh, are, are all about communion, but maybe we can have a little bit more tangible reminders about the goal of our life is Jesus ultimately. And so who looks like Jesus amongst us, and may we become imitators of them. And that's where we're going to land. But before we get going, we need to re-enter into the context of Philippians 3. If you remember last week, what we found was that Paul's tone changed quite a bit. He's rejoicing still, and he says, rejoice in the Lord. And as, he, as his tone changed, he started to call people out. Y'all remember this? And he called them dogs. He called them evildoers. He called them uh, the mutilation that they would so emphasize a part of the law that they were circum really saying, well, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to get circumcised too. And for us in our day, oh, you want to follow Jesus, you've got to get baptized. If you want to follow Jesus, you really got to do X, Y, or Z. If you really want to be a Christian, you have to do something. Pray a prayer, whatever it is. And you can be in all sorts of traditions, all sorts of denominations, and realize you've gotten salvation wrong when you're going to stand before the throne, and he says, why should I let you in? And your answer starts with, because I. Wrong start to the answer. Right start to the answer, Paul is going to tell us, because you. Because you, O oh Lord. Because you died for my sins, and I do not deserve it, and for reasons I can't comprehend, you've brought me into your family. I don't get it. And that's what, called, that's what grace is called. 
never quite get it. So Paul is calling us back to these essentials, and as he does, if you remember last week, we counted it all loss. We counted every gain that we would ever have as manure. If you remember this, do you remember this little motion? We're bringing it back now two weeks in a row. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the podcast, and you're going, we really have to go back to manure? Yes. That we would consider it all Fecal matter, all rubbish, all trash, all garbage. That's the, the graphic language of scubala. Scubala. I consider everything manure for the sake of Jesus. And he's just not talking about the temporary pleasures of sin. He's talking about the status he got religiously by being a Pharisee, which is power and importance and authority and all the things that we want. He considers all and everything loss. Garbage, rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And again, Paul has one longing that he ended that passage with. And he says, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings. Are you longing to share in the sufferings of Jesus? That by any means possible, any means possible? Yes, any means possible, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, Philippians 3, 10 ends with. And now, 3.11 rather ends with. And now here we are. We're now in this passage where we start to understand that Paul isn't just calling us to continue to, to, to count those things as loss, but now there's something greater. And we are all now in this journey to become someone that we once weren't, to aspire into maturity in the Lord. That's what he's going to call us into as we get going into Philippians 3, 12 through 14. And as we get to there, there's a great lie going on the undercurrent of every church in America, perhaps the world. And that is maturity is optional. You got Jesus, you got your fire insurance, awesome. It's all you need. But I can tell you now that God wants more for you than just fire insurance, but he wants you to grow up into the full stature of Christ Jesus. If you read the New Testament, if you read Paul's letters, it is on every page that he writes that we may grow up, that we may become something that we're not, that we would truly value and see and experience heart transformation where we go from wanting one thing and then all of a sudden get changed over time to wanting something in someone else. I don't want to sin anymore. I used to really want to sin and not care. What happened? But the grace of God, there go I, and the Holy Spirit comes, and he does some pretty amazing things. But here's the thing. First things first, maturity is not optional, should not be optional for any of us. And you might be going, well, where does that come from? Well, Philippians 3, 12 through 14, I'll just read so we can get our minds right again. Not that I've already obtained this. He hasn't obtained perfection. He hasn't obtained maturity, full maturity. He hasn't obtained the resurrection of the dead. I have not obtained this. Or am I already perfect? But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. No, no. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, the trap for all of us is that we start to think that once we have Jesus, we don't need to do anything else. And yet if you look at just not just Paul, but also Peter, he talks about adding to our faith with every effort. And so I would ask you, are you, what is your spiritual life about? Is it about making excuses about how I don't have time and don't really want to? Or are we counting everything as lost? 
compared to knowing Jesus. When I graduated from A&M, I think I had known Jesus for about um, two years. Wasn't really involved in a church. When I told you last week, I grew up Catholic. When I went to uh, the big Baptist or non-denominational churches in College Station, I felt very much out of place, like a fish out of water. Like they all know the answers to the test, and I am just here trying to show up, trying to pass my SATs for the first time, which, by the way, didn't go well. But when I came back to Houston... Um, my buddy Bob, whom my firstborn is named after, no, Reese's name isn't first, her name is not Bob. Um, her middle name is Haley, which is after him. And I remember him sitting down with me in my apartment complex off of Gessner and Richmond, which is where I used to live. Uh, that's a lot of fun. That's a whole other story in and of itself. But he came to me one day and he goes, hey man, you ever thought about like true discipleship? You ever thought about like really growing and knowing more about Jesus? And I was like, No. Like, compared to where I was and to where I am now, I know Jesus, he knows me, I'm all good, and I really don't want your theological packet. So if you could take it home with you, I'm good. I don't want to really know more. I'm just really glad that he loves me, and I want to love him, and that's fine with me. I was completely content with just the simple reality of the gospel and salvation only being one-dimensional, justification, bringing you into the kingdom and not multi-dimensional, of spiritual growth and maturity and sanctification, much less everything else. And so I remember him leaving that packet on my coffee table, and he knew what he was doing. I read that packet that night, and I remember having my eyes opened to words that I'd never read before, and looking them up like dispensationalism and covenant and superlapsarianism and Calvinism and Arianism and all the isms you can find in justification and sanctification. I mean, all these words that you're like, bro, you're already overwhelming me. I know. But the deep end was all of a sudden available to me and it was no longer intimidating. Now all of a sudden there was a thirst in me to want more that I didn't know was in me. And my hope is that you too would want more. My hope is that you are not lulled to sleep and is simply just being excited that you're a Christian, but that you're growing in Christ. And those two things go hand in hand. And if you don't know where to start, you probably have to start going, well, what's my goal here? If you're going to start on a journey, you've got to know what the end is. And for Paul and for us, he says, the goal, the prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. And if you notice the language in this section as it compares to life with Christ, compared to life on earth. And so he's inviting us into this reality that we are to be mature and ready, not just for this life, but for the next. You see it in Philippians 3.20 at the end. Our citizenship isn't on the earth. It's not even in a country. I know you're going to get a passport, or you have passports from the U.S., but that is not proof of your true citizenship. Your truest, most... Um, most essential spiritual citizenship is not on the earth, but he says our citizenship is in heaven, and from that place, from that kingdom, we await a Savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That is our citizenship. Paul's goal in life was not to retire one day, although it is great. And I already told some retirees in the room, I don't know anything about retirement. I just know that it's a bad goal. 
If you're doing everything you can to save up and to do everything you can to retire, I would ask the question, and then do what? Because most retirees I know are bored out of their mind. Because they didn't, they just, they had this goal to retire one day, but no real plan to do things. It was just like, I'm just going to not do anything. That works for like two weeks. I can go fishing. That works for like a month. I'm going to go play golf. All right, you're up to six weeks. What's good for the next 15 or 20 years? Not a bad goal, just not the everything. See, if we're citizens of heaven, that can't be our goal. If we're citizens of the American dream, that's our goal. But if we're citizens of heaven, there's an upward call of God and Christ Jesus that far surpasses any 20 years we'll be here on the earth or 15 years we'll be here on the earth and not have a vocation anymore. God is calling us to an upward call, a citizenship in heaven. Um, Paul's point is this, that those who live for fulfillment here and now, and this is not to say all retirees live for this, but I think there is a juxtaposition and a comparison to those that live for earthly things as opposed to live for heavenly things. And he says those who will live for the here and now will undoubtedly live lives marked with the pursuit somewhere along the lines to feel good, to accumulate, and to attain to some sort of self-righteousness, either by pretending that you're not that bad or performing that you've got to earn something from God. If you remember, and if you don't remember, I'm going back to like my nostalgic days with college. Um, I went to a thing called One Day. Does anybody, was anybody a Christian when there was One Day? Raise your hand. Ooh, there's one of us in the room, two of us in the room. Okay, three of us. I went to one day. One day was in, I think, like March of 2000, because I was a believer for like five minutes. And it was in, on, on, the, on the plains of somebody's land in Tennessee. And every college student was called from around the country to go to this thing called One Day. And there was a, a, a younger preacher there that kind of all of a sudden made a name for himself. He was in his 40s, maybe 50s. I don't know what the timeline is. But a, 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 someone who really wasn't all that known. Um, and he preached there. And his name was John Piper. And John Piper, uh, he was known, of course, he was already speaking at this massive thing, but no one in my circle knew who he was. And John Piper uh, preached his famous sermon about don't waste your life. And you've probably heard about that sermon. You've seen a clip, this grainy clip of this um, old guy that was just angry. Uh, that's what I remember as a young believer. I was like, why is he so angry? And then I realized this is John Piper. He's fine. Um, it's just later on I figured that out. But he, he preached that sermon and he said, Bob and Penny are seeking early retirement. And he read from the Reader's Digest. And I just dated myself. We used to have that in our home. But he also dated himself and he knew it. But he read from the Reader's Digest and it talked about early retirement. And Bob and Penny are seeking early retirement where they'll live in Florida. They'll, they'll cruise around on their boat and they'll hit softball or they'll play softball and they'll collect seashells. And then the great line from John Piper is basically, and they're going to collect seashells. And it's a trap. Like, that's my best John Piper. See how angry he, that feels? But he says this, it's a tragedy. Don't buy it. And I would say for us, if we are living for an earthly thing, we also will get lulled to sleep into ah, life in an RV and a camper or that land out in Needville. Just a little extra <laughs> land. It used to be Fulcher, but Fulcher would priced us out, so now it's, now it's Needville. Mmm, Needville. That's what we think about. That's what we dream about. That's what you talk about in your neighborhood groups. 
Is this the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? So if you're trying to think, okay, well, this isn't optional, and this is kind of the traps that are ahead, uh, maybe we need some waypoints along the journey to the upward call in Christ Jesus. And if you need those waypoints of just checkpoints along the journey, Paul says, no problem. I got you. I will point some things out. And so that's where we go next, the waypoints to maturity. And it's found in verses 12 through 19. And instead of reading all of that, I just want to go one by one, and we'll go through it rather quickly. But number one, the first waypoint is that we need to be humble. If we're going to grow in Christ, if you all, are, if we as a body are going to mature into this upward call of Christ Jesus, the first thing it's going to take is your humility. You see it in verse 12? Now, not that I have already obtained this. I am not perfect. I don't, I don't have it all together, but I press on. I don't have this yet. This is the Apostle Paul now. He just went through all the things that he could have said. Man, I could bank my spirituality and my maturity on being a Pharisee, on being a Hebrew, on being of the people of Israel, on being circumcised on the eighth day, of being shipwrecked and lashed and all these different things, right? We read these things last week. But actually, I don't have it together, y'all. I don't have it together. He's humble. And I think that is another way of saying in the EQ world of having self-awareness. You need to have some self-awareness. I remember I was at um, an Acts 29 conference. We're part of an Acts 29 uh, 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 network. And I remember being at a conference for pastors and their wives. I want you to remember that. Pastors and wives. And we were in Colorado. And if you know this, we were at this really nice, fancy retreat and resort. There's no like in-ground pools at this resort because it's in Colorado and that just doesn't make any sense. And so we're there and it's like middle of the day. And I remember um, being in our room, uh, my wife and I just kind of relaxing. It was really a restful time and a good conference, except for when I peeked out like my window and just saw what everybody else was doing outside in the courtyard during a particular hour of the day. I remember looking down and being like, well, now that guy has a shirt off. And going, that's weird. Who is that? Oh my gosh, I know that guy. He actually is ripped. Like he's super cut. And he's walking around at a pastor and wives conference with his six pack out. And he's walking around and no one else has their shirt off. Like the, the mediocre guy, me isn't out there with his shirt off because no one needs to see that. Like that's not, we don't need to do that. But this guy who's ripped has his shirt off. And I remember looking down and saying something to my wife that I dare not repeat from the pulpit. But I remember being like, are you kidding me right now? Basically that was the heart of it. Fast forward, speaking of humility and self-awareness, he's now not in ministry because his marriage is in shambles. Shocker that the man who's walking around at a pastor and wives conference with his shirt off doesn't have the humility or self-awareness to continue to grow and mature in Christ. That's, that's, these are our leaders. He's a pastor. He's a planter. I put this before us as a great humiliation to my own kind. But also for all of us, if pastors are this way, and it's just a subtle little thread of us, oh, no big deal. But we'll be humble 
and self-aware because here is, uh, I've been listening to this podcast, I've listened to it several times, it's the Association of Christian Biblical Counseling and it's called Truth in Love and he talks about humility ultimately as being teachable. Are you teachable? Are you a teachable person? He defined teachable as humility receiving instruction. And the great indicator of someone who's not humble is someone who interrupts. Because you're not listening. You already think you know the answer. You already think you know the end of the story. So Proverbs 18, 13, he would quote, he says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And so he looks for people in counseling that are teachable, that are humble, that if you're going to grow, we too must bring on a teachable and humble spirit. So friends, do you think you know more than you do, or are you teachable? Are you a humble Christian? Because humble Christians have one thing in common. They listen to God's voice, and they are ultimately thirsty for it. So I like to bring in some things that we're learning in your growth group because this isn't just a one-dimensional church. It's a multi-dimensional church where we don't just gather on Sunday and hear the word preached once a week, but we, we try to dig in on our own and then dig in with one another. And so Exodus 15, 13, excuse me, 15, 26, there's a great promise of God that for God to his people. He said, I will be your healer if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer. Will we be humble enough to not think we know the answers, be teachable by the Lord, his spirit and his word? That's the first waypoint of maturity. Second, that we would press on and we would strain for something, a goal, Christian maturity is not, maturity is not going to happen by accident. And so you see it right here in the first, uh, second part of uh, 12. But I press on. Look at the language. I press on to make it my own. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Again in 14. I press on towards the goal. Paul is making it very clear. Humility does not equal passivity. Humility means we press. We lay hold of Jesus. In Paul's language here, he's saying, I refuse to get bogged down by my failures and my successes of the past, and I cling and I press on to Jesus. Those who have gone before you, that you would call your hero in the faith. Do you have someone that you would say is your hero in the faith? It's one of your past, of your college days, of your high school days, maybe of your present day. You know what makes them your hero? They say yes to God. That's what they do every day. When they don't feel like reading the word, they say yes to him. When they don't feel like praying and they got too much to do, they lay those things aside and they say yes to God daily, minute by minute, to where all of a sudden they can stand up and they can say a certain thing on any given day and it, there's some Jesus oozing out of them. And you go, how did they get there? You know what they did? Monday morning when no one was looking, they said yes. That's what your heroes do. If you look at the life of Jesus, that's what he did. When they were clinging to him, the feeding the 5,000 and wanting to anoint him as king, you know what Jesus did? He said yes to his father and he withdrew and we went to go be with his father by himself in prayer and in solitude. 
I'd bet that was a really busy time for him. And yet he withdrew. He says yes to his father before he says yes to anyone else. We strain, we press on, we say yes to God. And then finally, we identify our threats. If we got waypoints, it's, we got to have humility. We got we to strain and press on by saying yes to him on a minute-by-minute minute basis. And then we finally identify our threats in verses 17 through 19. It says, brothers, join me in imitating me. You see the humility that's juxtaposed with saying, but I am an example to you. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many of whom I have, been, I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. If you had to think about a Christian subculture in our day and age, in suburbia, American dream is just the air that we breathe. Who would be those people? What would be that teaching that Paul would identify as an enemy of the cross? This is in the church now. He's saying, look, I've, I've warned you about them several times with tears in my eyes. Do I warn you? But they're enemies of the cross of Christ. They have their minds set on the dirt, on the earthly thing. They're not seeking the upward call of Jesus, and yet I've warned you many times, you guys are going after them. Their life is alluring and attractive. Who would that be for you? Maybe not setting Jesus at the forefront, but he's sprinkled in there along the way. Like that's the, all right, this is not in the script, but why I don't like country music is because they will draw, uh-oh, here we go. We already got, I do apologize, Mother, in advance. I know you love it. I like George Strait. That's country music. But there you go. But all this other stuff, like they'll juxtapose uh, songs about tequila and drinking and going out and living that good life with I just need Jesus, man. It's just all up in there together. It's not just country music. It's everything else. But it's just the easy one for me all just intermingled in there together and all pretty soon you're like oh man this is normal sorry i got my country music accent on <laughs> this is just normal this is what we do this is just christianity in america friends don't be lulled to sleep and to, to wake you from your stupor and your sleep i want to put before you an example not just the elders of this church, the deacons of this church, the serve team leaders of this church, the growth group leaders that you have, the neighborhood group leaders that you have. That's easy. But also my friend Beekram. So Beek 